We recorded this interview in April with Chef Saeed Consuegra. We wanted to let you know we have been following the protests across the country and in Kansas City, and we are working now to share more stories with you. We also, at this moment, are still awaiting the Supreme Court decision regarding DACA and wanted to share Zaid's story with you as a chef and DACA recipient. This time on Chew Diligence, facing an uncertain future, Chef Zaid Consuegra is not only worried about reopening and running a restaurant after shutting his doors because of COVID-19. Because if I would have kept my doors open, we probably have to just shut down completely because of the lack of funds. But as a DACA recipient. I, I refuse to go back to the same thing. I refuse to go back in the shadows. I refuse to go back into being un, like fully undocumented. He's waiting to hear what the Supreme Court will decide. If the Trump administration can shut down the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program that allows him and thousands of others in the Kansas City area to work and avoid deportation, the Supreme Court is expected to rule soon. This is some different times. Um, if it goes away, if DACA goes away, we don't have any protection. He'll tell us about the hardships of closing their doors at Pirate's Bone Burgers in the crossroads after opening just months before. All of these are people with lives, with bills, and you're going to have to be the person who says, sorry, I cannot pay you anymore. And you're let go. We talked to Zaid in April, and since then, we've learned a payroll protection program loan is helping pay their staff, and Pirate's Bone Burgers has reopened with a simpler menu for carryout only and only on weekends. You'll hear him explain why. The sliders don't hold heat that much because they are small, so you have to think about that. He'll tell us why he closed before stay-at-home orders started in Kansas City, Missouri, and why he and his partners didn't even open for carryout until after stay-at-home orders eased. This is Lindsay Shively along with Jill Silva as we continue our special coverage of our local hospitality industry during the COVID-19 crisis. And this is Chew Diligence. I closed actually without the consent of both my partners um, or talking to any of the employees. So I made the decision um, on the spot. Um, I thought it was gonna be the best thing, especially because of how new we were and how much funds we had available. Um, and those funds available would be just to save and you know to save for a better day, uh, for a reopening. Um, there was at that point no talks about the PPP um, or any loans, so it, it was really um, a hard decision to make. But I knew at the end of the day it was the best decision because if I would have kept my doors open, we probably had to just shut down completely because of the lack of funds. So this was early <laughs> on in this crisis. <laughs> Right. Ooh, this was a week early before um, Kansas City went into a stay at home. I think I read March 16th is when you decided. Yeah. To okay. Yeah. March 16th was the final day. Yeah. And we've talked to a lot of restaurant owners who said they are doing the carryout model, which is not what they are typically doing in operations. And uh, while it is helping them, you know, stay afloat, if you will, it's not going to be sustainable necessarily. And you were just telling us that for the way that 
pirate's bone was working, carry out really wouldn't be an option either. Can I talk about that? Well, um, <clears throat> the thing about carry out with us is that we do sliders. So the, you have to think about the whole process of the food. And this is where it gets complicated and gets more to the business instead of the food. But um, the sliders don't hold heat that much because they are small. So you have to think about that. So by the time you take them home, those sliders are going to be mildly hot at the very least, or they're going to be cold um, by that point. And we have, like everything is fresh. So therefore, you're going to have something that was supposed to be even hot that now is cold and it tastes off because you had fresh stuff in between the hot stuff and all of that got heat in it and now no longer is cold. It's actually hot and all the hot stuff is cold. Um, so, you know, I have to think about all that. Our fries as well, we all know fries don't carry, you know, out that well. Um, you have to eat them right away. And for folks, our clientele comes throughout the city and throughout the metro. And then some people used to drive from outside of town um, to get to us. Now that's not probably happening at this point, but I wouldn't want it to be the concept or like a circumstance that would happen and then someone would be mad at us we had a lot of people who would drive out from far away without calling granted that was not our, our our fault but without calling they would drive out and they would get there either before or after or on a weekend when we were already closed so um, i didn't want all these negative things to happen especially while we were just keeping up float. I didn't want to just keep up float. That's not, you know, that's not a thriving business model. And you had just really opened what, six months earlier? Um, yeah, we just had it open six months ago. So um, yeah, our, our bank account had been uh, very much for buying back or buying anything that we needed. It wasn't set up for saving at that point. It was just very much to like get things that we needed and keep on going um, because everyone knows business changes so much. I mean, I had an idea of this small but busy restaurant um, and it ended up being a medium to like medium to large um, size restaurant. Uh, as far as uh, amount of people that came over. We just had an abundance of folks that just jumped on it. And at first we didn't know even how to handle it. Um, I hadn't made that many burgers. I hadn't made that many fries. You know, I was still trying to figure it out. Um, that first week, I think on the first three days, cause we opened on like Wednesday maybe, uh, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, those first three days, and even on the weekend, I think we were selling like $3,000 almost a day, um, which for a brand new restaurant, which started with two people, it, yeah, it was out of my mind that we were making that much or that we were selling that much. And you also have to think these were everything's under $5. So for us to make $3,000 in sales, we have to sell a ton, a ton of burgers, a ton of fries. Um, 
which was a struggle too, to make everything under five dollars, which was a huge struggle for me because obviously, like, I want to make as much money as I can. You really had accolades coming right out of the gate, so obviously, yeah, <laughs> you were happy. You were thinking, "This is great. I've got a business." And then a pandemic hits. When did you first think? this is going to be serious. This is going to affect me and I need to make a decision to stay open or closed. Um, for a while, I, besides the, the restaurant, I, my other jobs are going to be in just advocating um, for immigrant rights, human rights, and as well as animal um, rights, uh, which kind of comes into like how the world is shaping, what's going on all around, um, our diet and what that is causing to the world. Um, so happy Earth Day. Uh, happy Earth note. Day. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I knew about this uh, kind of happening. I kept an eye on it for a while. Um, actually, it was very interesting. In October, I believe, China released a tremendous amount of uh, pork into the public. Um, so they do the thing like that we do here with cheese, where the government takes like has a spares of cheese. Um, they do the same thing with pork over there. And then they released it because no one could afford it. So they released it at a super cheap price. And I was like, oh, this is going to be trouble. Because it was just like a humongous amount of pork that they released out into the public. Because uh, they were having a lot of people who were having issues eating anymore. Like they couldn't afford pork at this point, like before uh, October. After swine fever severely impacted China's pork population in 2018, pork prices went up. Last fall, CNN reports that China auctioned off thousands of pounds of frozen pork from China's reserves that had been imported from other countries to try to ease the price of pork. Recent reports show China has continued to import pork from the U.S. during the pandemic, even as some U.S. pork processing plants closed because of COVID-19 illnesses. And, and it has nothing to do with this, but I was just thinking like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Something's going to come out of it with so much pork coming, you know, for so much, uh, for so little money and everyone's able to afford it. There's going to be a lot uh, happening in China. And then just from there, I kept an eye on on what was happening in China and everything. As soon as like we started to hear about it um, in China, I was, my eyes were on it. And as soon as it got here, before it got here, when it traveled, I was definitely keeping my eyes on it, um, my ears on it. And that's why I had to call it. Even um, before that, I think before the 16, I had a conversation with Iris Green, um, which is chef at uh, the Littlest Bake Shop. And we spoke about like what we could do if this did come, you know, into the States and into Kansas City. And she decided to close just a little bit earlier than we did because she is a single mother. So she was like, nope, I'm done. Uh, we're going to, you know, wear it off at home. And um, and yeah, we like we were talking way before, you know, any of this happened here locally. So we were a little prepared. I was a little cautious, for sure. How do you do that, Zaleed? Because I know, I mean, the restaurant for so many people is their main source of income, obviously. So when you make the decision to close, knowing you're not going to be making money, how have you been? It was not an easy. Going? Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't easy. But the thing is, uh, so I'm a DACA recipient, 
which is deferred action for childhood arrival. Uh, right now we're going to court, or we're in court, we already went to court, we're waiting for a decision by the Supreme Court on this. Um, I don't have health insurance, and the restaurant isn't doing you know, amazing numbers for me to actually get health insurance. I am about, I think, two months behind on pay. Um, so for me to risk going to work and getting sick is a bigger risk than staying home and letting this thing go, just wait it out. Um, I, yeah, I definitely cannot get sick. I don't have health insurance. I don't have, if I did get sick and then everything went back to normal, but I'm still sick, like I wouldn't be able to afford that either. So there was a less risk staying at home than um, keeping myself at work, especially because I can't control everyone. You know, I can't tell my employees, don't go out, out of your house. Like come from your house to work and work to home. I can't do that. I'm not a dictator. And um, as much as I love everyone, I can't trust everyone the same degree that I would myself. I am, I will double check myself sometimes with those things. So I can't expect everyone to be that um, OCD about it. What do you think when you do open up again, what does that look like um, in terms of employees, in terms of customer service, in terms of what the physical space will look like um, with social distancing? Yeah, um, so I'm keeping an eye out on what California is doing and all the states that are reopening. I, I don't necessarily agree with any of them by saying, you know, you have to, uh, you can only have like half or a quarter of your seating. Like I, that doesn't make sense. Um, especially if you have to print um, menus, if you have to print menus, or if you have to get silverware, which is plastic, and then you have all these other things that you have to do extra. So if we do reopen, we're most likely not gonna reopen the actual dining space. Um, we'll have a makeshift door um, right <laughs> inside. Uh, so we'll have be able to open the door is what I'm thinking and keep it open for when we're open for business and then just have a um, almost like a glass shield that you can just walk up, pay and grab your food. So it'll be like a walk-up window. Um, Cause we wanted to do that in the beginning. We wanted to put a, like a walk-up window and like an actual um, drive-through window in our front space. So for first Fridays, we wouldn't have anyone in and we would just have people walk to the window, order, and then we would give them their food. That way we wouldn't have such a like chaotic uh, space. And um, we still have that idea, we just don't have the funds for it. Like we'll have at this point, and it depends how long this is, like if we stretch it one more time, then I don't know if we're gonna have enough. But we'll have enough funds to pretty much get one Cisco order and then to payroll for like that one week. And then we better get, you know, we better get all that money back and more in order to do the next week and the next week and the next week. So for the beginning, we're gonna have to stick to like a weekly plan. 
Um, and I don't plan on opening on weekdays. Um, and if we do, we will only open on lunch. And that's if the offices are back to work. If offices aren't back, but that's, I'm gonna say 70% or 60% of our business is all the offices around the crossroads. And none of them, none of them are open. I mean, the crossroads, you go today and it's just empty. Um, I, I thought it was like super funny. Uh, someone texted me while I was driving and I was like, oh, I could easily like text back and not get into a car accident because there's literally no one here. Obviously I didn't, but yeah. that's like how like crazy it is now. The crossroads has no one. Um, and it, it's just like well, such a different world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. I ventured out for takeout right on that main street area where you are and uh it was it was weird it was very strange i you know i'd worked over at the star for years so i know that neighborhood really well and there was there were so few people but i was heartened to see that at least one of the trolleys was running so that's like at least yeah. not a total ghost town right i'm wondering as um a daca recipient when you look at reopening are you going to be a, a, are loans going to be available to you? How does that work? And are you well, thinking they'll yeah, um, finance this? Yeah, uh, as a DACA recipient, you are able to get loans um, uh, from the government because they're more for the business than for the person. Like payroll. So if we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we were talking about, um, there's a lot of things that I cannot get or be able to use with DACA. It's just a work permit. That's pretty much it. And at this point, again, we're waiting for uh, the Supreme Court to rule on it. Um, there are three scenarios. One, they rule with Trump um, and they just completely cut it. And there's no way we can make a, it'll be really hard, never mind, no way. It'll be really hard for us to make another case or to make another program or for another president to make a different program. The other one is they cut it but they leave that door for another person to open up a different program if they get elected, like if Trump isn't reelected this time around again. Um, and the, the third one, it would be that they side with us and then they do extend and they keep um, DACA and they said that it was a legal thing that Obama did. The Supreme Court is deciding if the Trump administration tried to shut down DACA improperly by calling it illegal, but not giving a detailed explanation why, or showing how that would affect immigrants. The Justice Department says that's not necessary. DACA defenders say federal law requires that explanation. President Obama launched the initiative in 2012 through an executive order. Trump has already said it. If, um, when DACA ends, he will go after DACA recipients. In a November 2019 tweet, the morning the Supreme Court heard arguments, President Trump tweeted some DACA recipients were far from angels, calling some hardened criminals, but also said if Supreme Court remedies with overturn, a deal will be made with Dems for them to stay. Part of the requirements of getting DACA include not being convicted of a felony or certain misdemeanors and that you are not a threat to public safety. So it's going to be a real chaotic thing. Um, this was... A threat well said it's been said over and over again he said it since um, he was campaigning for his presidency so I don't know 
it will be really, really, it'll be something. Um, we have a chant and, uh, it, you know, we talk about like, um, not being scared. Like we're here, we're not scared, but, but no, this is some different times. Um, if it goes away, if DACA goes away, we don't have any protection. So I will be, uh, on the line, uh, for deportation for sure. We reached out to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and an ICE official told us that while they can't speculate about what will happen with DACA, most of their arrests come from people in local jails who have already been arrested by local authorities for other crimes, and that anyone who has DACA but commits a crime may be subject to arrest and ultimately removal from the United States. So if DACA is rescinded, then DACA holders would be subject to the same enforcement as any other illegally present individual. That ICE official also said, at least right now in the midst of a pandemic, that ICE is focusing resources only on public safety threats and those who may be subject to mandatory detention. And that for others, they're delaying enforcement or using what they call alternatives to detention until after the crisis. A report from U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services shows approximately 649,000 active DACA recipients in the U.S. as of December 2019, with 3,400 in the Kansas City area, 3,480, and with more than 5,600 living in Kansas, more than 3,000 living in Missouri. We also asked Kansas City immigration attorney Michael Sharma Crawford, and while he says he can't know for sure what ICE will do, and of course what exactly the Supreme Court ruling will be, he believes if DACA ends, any enforcement from ICE would likely come down to a matter of resources. They don't have time. They don't have time to go find them, so they're gonna prioritize them. I think the fear is real. I think strategically from a, a, a resources point of view, you're going to see ICE targeting DACA kids whose work cards have expired, who have removal orders, because that's the easy, that's the easy take first. Was that, uh, you went to Washington, D.C. last fall, is that correct? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I was there for the hearing, for the Supreme Court hearing. Um, I've been there twice, and I have not seen anything um, touristic, or like as a tourist in Washington. But I've been there twice for like a, more than a week total. Um, but I was there for the hearing um, at the Supreme Court. There were just, I don't even know how many people. I'm going to say in the hundreds, maybe a thousand. Uh, we have groups from everywhere in the country. We had a group from New York that walked from New York to Washington, D.C., that was something. The fact that people took the weeks to walk from New York to DC was ridiculous. The amount of effort that we put um, to make something as, to make human rights, you know, a thing. I can't believe we're still fighting for basic human rights at this point, um, but we are. So, um, it was really truly something they were in there for eight hours. I was part of the opening statement. Um, so there were 28 people, I believe that were part of it, but I wasn't able to get a seat inside. Um, and we were outside for eight hours. It was 
maybe like 30 degrees. It rained, it snowed. My, like we were so packed, like you couldn't move. So um, my body was so sore and cramping. As soon as we were, like we started walking back to our, um, the places we were staying at. My calves hurt so much. I remember them burning. Um, it was such a horrible sensation. I mean, we were there for so long. Um, but it was a, it was a thing I couldn't miss. Um, especially because it was going to be part of my future. Um, and since I was part of those people who were in the opening statement, I was also um, part of the media uh, group uh, for United We Dream. So anyone who was part of it and who agreed to it will talk to the media. Well, how it's affecting me currently um, and how it's going to affect me, you know, on which side uh, the Supreme Court lands on. Um, so everyone wants to know my thoughts and you know what's happening currently. Uh, because one, we have to let go a crew of 12 total, I believe. So that's a lot to take on. Um, it was hard. I mean, you have to remember there are all of these are people with lives, with bills and you're gonna have to be the person who says, sorry, I cannot pay you anymore. And you're let go. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, we always try to put uh, at least a, a face the story when it comes to media. We want media to know that DACA recipients are people, that they're doing their best and this is an example of it. Um, as, as a business owner, you're being- As a business owner, yeah. Owner. And, and yeah. your contributions, obviously. To yeah, um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of highlights on medical field uh, DACA recipients. Uh, so far, I think we have like 28,000 DACA recipients uh, who are in the medical field, in the front lines. Um, I don't believe we have necessarily nurses uh, in Kansas or Missouri, but one of them, or both of them, require you to be a permanent resident or a citizen to actually be um, a nurse. But I forgot if it's Kansas or Missouri or both. Um, so yeah, I actually went to, when Trump got elected, I went to a meeting and we were talking about like all the things we wanted to do. And this um, young woman who was just going into college, um, talked about how they wanted to be a nurse and our lawyer, like our, um, not lawyer, our lawyer, but he works with KS Moda, our local um, organization here, had to break their heart and was like, you know, I don't want to do this, but I hate to break it to you. You will not be able to um, pursue that, at least be a nurse um, at this point. Um, and that was really heartbreaking where like someone had a big dream to be in the medical field and they were told they couldn't do it before they even started. We reached out to the nursing boards of both Kansas and Missouri about this to ask if DACA recipients were eligible for licensing. We were told essentially yes in Kansas, but no in Missouri. Okay, here's what we found out. In Missouri, a state spokesperson told us that pursuant to federal law, 
lawful presence is required and the nursing board says DACA status is not lawful presence. They cited a 2016 decision from the Missouri Administrative Hearing Commission denying a DACA recipient's application for a license to become a registered professional nurse or RN. Somebody from the Kansas State Board of Nursing told us that as long as you have a social security card, you can apply. And on their website, the Social Security Administration says a DACA recipient can apply for a social security number after they get their employment authorization card. So I saw that as a big, I mean, I, I can understand it. I wanted to be in the film industry and obviously I'm not. Um, and I had so many doors shut on me because of that. Yeah. And though this is one more that can be. This is something because I no longer, I'm no longer 20 something. Like I, I put all of the money that I had from the previous business and I stuffed it onto this one. And, you know, I, I made it clear this was going to be it. There was a good chance that it would work. It seemed like it would work. So I put every single penny that I had like no savings whatsoever were left in my pocket. So everything went into this. There is more than $100,000 into that space currently, and I have a zero to hold on to. So yeah, definitely, this is no longer like a little um, company I started, and it may do well, it may not, and I have so many years more to overcome this. Like I'm, I'm definitely, in my 30s now, I live alone. There's no one who can support me. I don't have a partner that you know can carry some of that weight. So it's definitely going to be a struggle. How do you? Um, I mean, this is a lot to think about. How do you um, relax? How do you cope right now? Um, I did relax that first week. I was totally relaxed. I haven't had a break in so long. Um, I mean, years that I haven't had a break. So um, I've been taking it as such. That second week, I feel like everyone was panicking and they didn't know what was happening. They wanted answers. Um, so that first week was like heaven for me. I took no calls. I was relaxing all the time. And then the second week, everyone went crazy. Um, and I hated it. Now we're well into our fourth week. <laughs> uh, and I'm just doing the best that I can with the time that I have. Um, but I'm also not, I'm not trying to go crazy and do so many things. I'm doing house, um, like housework, house projects. Uh, I went several times to the restaurant, make sure clean, make sure, you know, I got most of the things that were still good into one fridge. So everything's pretty much off. I found out the, freezer had a malfunction and everything we had in the freezer went bad and that was one of the things that i want like i was yeah i was uh i put everything that could you know go in the freezer in there so when we got back we would be able to use that stuff and i probably had upwards uh i probably had like two thousand dollars worth of uh stuff in there uh, oh my so God. i know so that's why it seemed like very good for us to like save everything and then come back and all we would have to buy would be your minimal um, like fresh produce. Uh, and now we're gonna have to buy a ton. Um, but 
like I said, I would probably open with, if we open with burgers, I would only open with two burgers at this point. Um, and that's, that, that's pretty much it, two burgers and a fry. Uh, my other idea would be to open up with a kolache or calzone type of dough with stuffing in it that one, we could cook and have it ready for people to pick up or we could freeze and then have people still pick it up and then just cook it at home or yeah. reheat it at home. So that was my biggest idea. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like, okay, what did we do in the last recession and like the great recession? Grains are going to be, I mean, grains are going to be excellent at this point and it's going to suck for people with celiac again or with sensitivities because it's going to be used a lot because it's cheap. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to most likely have to go that route to use a lot of grains in order to get by. Um, I don't think we're going to be uh, doing a lot of uh, black truffle um, <laughs> uh, for a while because um, we Low do cost like, our truffle fries. <laughs> yeah, our truffle fries are one of the best selling fries that we have, but it's definitely one of the most expensive things for us to get because mm. it, it's, it's not an oil. Most people, most restaurants, as maybe you'll know, use oil uh, truffle which is most likely just olive oil infused with a flavor, not actual truffle. Um, so it's very cheap for people to use it. And I said, you know what? Let me not do that and use truffle salt. So it's uh, salt infused with black truffle. And it's just amazing. It's, it's got a really good flavor, but it is really expensive. I mean, I think a, I think a pound, I forget if it's like anywhere from like 70 to like a hundred dollars um, a pound. So we usually spend on a five pound bag, like four to $500 on this, like this little bag of salt. <laughs> um, and people don't know that, but I did that on purpose. I said, you know what, let me have some really inexpensive things and then have some like really good quality stuff and then just throw it in the middle like and see if people like it um, so, Zaid, we're definitely going to do that are you thinking that the pirate's bone that people knew before potentially is never coming back or maybe just not for a year um shoot time will tell to be honest um if i had if we had the money saved up, then I would say, oh yeah, for sure. It's coming back a hundred percent the same way. And it sucks because I had just bought a nice printed menu. Um, <laughs> and I, I got it the day after we closed. Um, and I was just like, damn, um, we were waiting so long. We were waiting six months to get like this really nice menu. We finally got it. And now we can't really use it. It's not going to be, something that we use and and our prices also i'm not sure if it's going to be something that we could keep um that's one of the things that a lot of restaurants will have to struggle pretty soon is seeing if their prices are going to be either too much or too little hmm. to survive because you have to uh, think not 
everyone is going to go back to buying the same amount that they did before. It's not so, going to be business as usual for quite some ooh, time. Oh, no. No, and I can't, I still can't break it. Like, I think I have good ideas. And because of the years in business I've been in, I have like a grip on things. But I don't have it all on this one. I still, my head is still trying to wrap around the, the whole COVID-19 after um, world. Let me ask you, will you be ready to start selling things out the window May 16th if the KCMO and local stay-at-home order does expire on the 15th, or is it gonna take a minute for you to get ready to sell? Um, well, we have to wait until the stay-at-home order lifts, period. We can't do it just because of the low funds. We can't take that risk. Um, you can't take you know, the risk of I, them extending it? No, uh, yeah, I can't. Um, I was telling my, one of my other uh, partners because they wanted to do something. They were like, maybe we can do a pop-up or this or that. And it was just like, listen, we don't have enough money to, pay, to gamble on it. We need everyone who is able to, to come out. Um, and because we don't have liquor, a lot of these liquor or bars are doing food and liquor and they're making a great amount of money. And uh, unfortunately, we can't have it. Um, also, I can't, I, because of my status, I can't apply for it. I will, um, it, it's only given to US citizens. Um, so the liquor license. Okay, we checked on this too. Here's what we found out here. The Missouri Department of Public Safety told us that for a business to get a liquor license, the owner or all business partners have to be U.S. citizens unless they appoint a managing officer of their LLC or corporation who is a U.S. citizen. And that's something Zaid has since said he and his partners are working on. So because we don't have liquor and we just have food, we're going to have to depend, like heavily depend on everyone who can to come and eat, like come and pick up food. Um, so uh, I will most likely, one, they're not gonna be sliders because we can't, it, it just won't travel well. So if anything, they're gonna be full-size burgers and they're gonna definitely be, you know, at a different price. Like we're not gonna be able to sell full-size burgers for $5. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a little different for a while until we see things calm um but i do hope and this might be like a silver lining i do hope that people start to appreciate others more um and throughout the the news interviews that i've done uh united we dream and myself thought it would be a really good idea to make sure that the news knew that not only am i important and not only are the essential workers important um like the hospital or medical people important would have to think about all the other essential um workers who are undocumented we're having an issue with all the um the people who work in the farms all the undocumented folks that work in the farms like that's how we get our vegetables that's how we get our our meat um you know all the factories that are shutting down most of them there's a big number of them who are undocumented and they are essential and obviously like we gain from them, but we treat them as less than essential people. We treat them as expendables. So we have a lot of people who are essential, but they're treated as expendables. 
The USDA Economic Research Service shows that in 2014 through 2016, almost half of hired crop farm workers, 48%, lacked legal immigration status. A recent report by Centers for American Progress said 12,800 DACA recipients work in the farming and agricultural industry and 11,600 DACA recipients work in the food manufacturing industry with more than 82,000 working in restaurants or food service. So I, I hope that we start to see things a little different um, as a whole and we start to be a little better um, as people like we start to change and we start to just be nicer and be more open-minded um so yeah it's it's about to get for whoever didn't like 2019 of how political it was it's going to get more political because of this and people are going to have to get used to it and they're going to have to you know cry as much as they want about politically correctness um but it's gonna happen and it has to happen we cannot go back to the same thing i i refuse to go back to the same thing i refuse to go back in the shadows i refuse to go back into being on like fully undocumented I, that is not a lie anyone should have um so you know i will keep doing what i know and what i can um to open people's eyes, but that, that's pretty much all I can do at this point. Um, if there was a country that I could go to that I would have a better life, I would. But unfortunately, this is home for now. You know, that's, that's our whole slogan, home is here. Um, and it's just the truth, home is here. Like I have literally a home that I live in. I have all my family here. I cannot just, you know, pack a bag and move out tomorrow. Because um, there's really not a good place to go to, um, especially now with COVID-19, no one's taken pretty much any immigrants. And uh, even before then, there wasn't a country, I looked into this, there wasn't a country I could easily move in and get some form of work permit that I wanted to. Um, you know, there's so many like stepping stones that or hurdles that people of color or people with different um, just heritage or backgrounds or uh, birthplaces have to go through um, more than, you know, uh, a white person. And I think we just have to accept it. We have to realize it because if we don't and we keep on saying that it's not true, then we keep on building this um, fake world around us that doesn't affect us, but affects everyone else. But as long as it doesn't affect us, we're fine not even talking about it. Again, since we first interviewed Zaid, Pirate's Bone in the Crossroads has just reopened. They have a smaller menu right now. They're just open a few days a week. You heard him talk about why there. We have a link to Zaid and Pirate's Bone on our Chew Diligence Instagram, and we'd love if you'd follow us there and subscribe to our podcast wherever you find podcasts. And please let us know if you know any stories in our local hospitality industry that need told. Thanks for listening.